Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Yeah, so today um, I'm going to continue the series that Pastor Simon started called The Missing Link. And um, it's all about our mindsets and our imaginations and how this is the place and the space where God wants to do some really remarkable things in and through our lives. And so we're going to continue that conversation this morning. And to do that, we're going to look at one verse, and it's Ephesians 3, verse 20. Oh, you're getting your Bibles out, so I'll wait a second. Ephesians 3, verse 20. If you've been in church a while, you'll have heard this one before. Uh, But it says, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Um, Before we um, unpack that verse together, um, (laughs) let me tell you a little bit about Paul's writings. Um, so he, he writes a lot of letters in the Bible and you'll see that he's often splits them into sections. He, um, he writes in such a way that the second part often follows on from this first part. And in the book of Ephesians, it's split into two sections. So chapter one to chapter three is one section and then chapter four to chapter six is another. And in chapter one, Paul writes all about our identity. He writes that we've been adopted into sonship. He writes that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. In chapter two, you can say amen to that, don't be shy, (laughs) that's good stuff. In chapter two, he writes about how um, whilst we were dead in our sin, whilst we were making mistakes and getting things wrong, it was whilst we were in that state that Christ Jesus came and he rescued us and we are seated in heavenly realms. And then in chapter three, he writes this most remarkable prayer to this church. And he says, I pray that you might be rooted and established in love and that you might experience all the fullness of God. And then he closes that off by saying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. And so this prayer closes off this whole section where Paul has been writing about our identity in Christ. Um, So we're going to pray together and then we're going to unpack this a little bit. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you might move in power, Holy Spirit. Um, We make ourselves available to what you want to do. We posture our heart, God, into believing Jesus that you might want to do something this morning. So we ask, Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us, we pray. Amen. Okay, so this first bit, now to him who is able. Um, Paul starts in chapter one by saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He writes this letter to this community of believers and he starts off by pointing them to the Father. And then he goes on to talk about who we are in Christ and then he closes this section off by pointing us back to the Father again and he says, now to him who is able. It starts with the Father and it ends with the Father. It's really important that you know that when Paul wrote this letter 
He was in prison. He was under house arrest. So Paul, from um, writing in this um, prison, in this being restricted environment, writes this most remarkable, quite profound statement now to him who is able. And he did all of that whilst he was in prison, whilst he was under house arrest. This is really significant because often we think that people who can say these big statements now to him who is able, we often think that they must have had a relatively easy life. For them to be able to say something like that, often we think, well, you've had it easy. But Paul didn't have it easy. In fact, when he became a Christian and followed Jesus and had this encounter, his life was full of ups and downs, swings and roundabouts, I don't know what I'm saying. He was ups and downs, he was under house arrest, you know, he found himself in situations that he probably never imagined his life would be in. It wasn't an easy life. And yet you would never know that about Paul. Because the way he writes is so free and profound that you would never know that Paul was actually in prison. And so how does he do it? How does someone who finds themselves in a restricted, limited environment, how do they possibly say now to him who is able? How does he do it? I only conclude that the only way he could do that is because whilst physically he was limited, in his mind he was free. So things didn't look great on the surface. You know, he was restricted, he was hindered physically, but mentally, in his imagination, in his mind, he was free. Often we let our physical circumstances dictate the state of our mind. Often we do that. I do that. You know, you, maybe things didn't go the way you thought they were going to go. Or um, something happened and it caught you off guard. Um, maybe you're in a season of waiting and you've not seen your breakthrough yet. I don't know what your season is. But often we let the physical reality impact the capacity of our mind. But Paul didn't do that. In his mind, he was free, and therefore, in his life, he was free. Paul didn't let what was happening to him impact his mind, but rather, he recognized who he was in Christ, who God really was, and he lived from that reality, and therefore, he was free. He was a free man. Um, for those of you that know, I've got a house now. <laughs> Woo! Good stuff. It's amazing. It's a bit of a miracle. It's, a, it's not just a bit of a miracle. It is a miracle. Um, God really came through in ways that just were so beyond what I imagined. And um, I'm just living in the faithfulness of God. And I feel his hand of blessing. It's a, the most remarkable season. And I'm so like full of joy and like, hope about everything that's happened. And I keep trying to drop it into conversation because I'm so in awe of what God's done. That's why I keep talking about it. So I just, I'm in awe of what God's done. And um, I love my house. It's really nice. Um, it's a little bit quirky, some would say. But mind you, if someone called me quirky once, and you know what that means. 
really means you're a little bit weird. <laughs> That's what they mean when they say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a little bit quirky and it needs a lot of work, you know. It's not like a brand new house. It just needs someone to look after it. And um, so I'm up for the challenge. But on Wednesday, my parents came and we spent the day in the garden because the garden was just so messy. Um, and when I, bought, when I went to view the house, you know, it was messy and it was overgrown, but it was manageable, you know? And I thought, you know, it's messy, but it's manageable. And then I got the keys to the house three months later, <laughs> walked into the garden and thought, this is not the garden that I saw <laughs> this first time. Um, it was like smothered with weeds. It was ivy everywhere, thorns. Um, yeah, it was just really overgrown. And you couldn't walk to the bottom of the garden without getting your legs sliced by the thorns. So yeah, it needed a lot of work. So on Wednesday, I called, you know, my faithful parents and I said, come here, work for free. I'll give you tap water, that sort of thing. <laughs> Am I joking? They brought their own. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> No, I'm joking. And so we spent the day in the garden. And as we were like pulling up the weeds and um, pulling all the thorns out and things, I started to notice that the garden's got like an original design, an original plan to it. I quite liked it, actually. There was like paving stones going all the way to the bottom. There was like a border bit here where you could put plants. I don't know if I'm using the right words. Border bit, I don't know. At the bottom of the garden, there was a bedding area. I feel like that's the right word. Bedding area for more plants. There's this beautiful like tree in the middle that's got white flowers. Oh, honestly, I stepped back and I thought, this is nice. And it dawned on me that Years ago, someone had sat down and they designed what they want this garden to be. And it was good. And I liked it. And I felt the Lord speak to me about this. You see, often our minds are like that garden. Um, let me elaborate. Um, so when you accept Jesus into your life, and when you say yes to the Holy Spirit to come and to be part of every part of your life. I believe the Holy Spirit gives you like a blueprint for how to navigate through life. I believe that he gives you like an original plan and an original purpose for how he wants you to dream and imagine. When you ask the Holy Spirit into your life, I believe that he gives you this um, capacity to imagine beyond anything you could ever imagine. He gives you this reality that through Jesus, anything is possible. That's what the Holy Spirit did. When he came into your life, he gave you that capacity to dream those big God dreams. He did that. And it's in there somewhere. But as you go through life, you pick up some things that just don't belong there. You know, maybe... You've been walking with Jesus a while and maybe you've become disappointed because things didn't go the way you wanted them to go. So you pick up disappointment. And maybe you became fearful, I don't know, or full of shame. So you pick that up as well. Maybe, maybe you thought that, you know, in five years' time you were going to be doing this and going to be in this place and your life isn't like that. And so you pick up that as well. And before you know it, your mind is covered with all of these insecurities and limitations and it leaves your mind like this. 
squished and hindered. And those original plans and that original purpose that God had placed in your mind, you're unable to see it because all you can see is your insecurity. Is that making sense? You're looking at me really blank. Yes, that does make sense. <laughs> if not, I'll go through it again. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but in your mind, there is an original plan and purpose, but it's just been hindered by life's you know, stories, by the way life is sometimes. And today, I believe that Jesus wants to come and he wants to peel back all of those things that have held you bound, those things that have restrained you, those things that have restricted you, that today Jesus might want to come and set you free from all of those things. Um, I work with the kids at CLC. Um, you might know that on a Friday we do a kids session and on a Sunday morning I work with the kids as well sometimes and I've got to be honest with you, it's so much fun. Church is allowed to be fun, you know, <laughs> but it's so much fun. And um, as much as I really hope that, you know, I teach them something, they teach me things all the time. I learn so much from the kids here at CLC. And when I taught them about the Holy Spirit, I felt God say to me, teach them about my spirit. So I did. And they were hanging on every word. They were literally, like they were leaning forward. They were so curious. They were so in awe. They were desperate. They were expectant. They were all of these amazing things. They wanted to know more about it. I was saying, you know, the Holy Spirit gives good gifts. And they said, but how? <laughs> and I was like, well, it just, but how? It was really hard. But, <laughs> but they were so excited. They were so expectant. And it dawned on me that when I was with them, they had no sense of, am I good enough? Or am I able to receive this gift? There was no limitations or restrictions in their thinking. They were curious. They were in awe. And they wanted more of the Holy Spirit. And it's that childlike sense of wonder that sometimes I think we've lost. That as we've got older and journeyed with Jesus and through life a little bit longer, that perhaps we've lost that childlike state of wonder. But we were always called to be in awe and wonder at the things of the Spirit. Always called to be like that. And we've become restrained and restricted by the things that we've picked up along the way that don't belong there. And we've become restrained by it that we're unable to have that childlike sense of imagination again. And I believe that Jesus wants to come and he wants to enable you to live in your freedom. Because when the Holy Spirit came into your life, he gave you freedom and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And so in you right now is the capacity to dream beyond your wildest dreams. In you right now is the capacity to imagine what God might do and could do. That lies within you. Paul was in prison and yet he was able to say, now to him who is able. And that's because he didn't allow his physical reality to impact his mental capacity. 
Paul writes, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Paul's focus was all about God. It was all about Jesus. His eyes were fixed on who he is and he lived from this reality of who God truly is. And I want to remind you this morning of who Jesus is. In the Gospel of John, Jesus writes seven, well, he doesn't write, he says seven I am statements. The first one, I am the bread of life, meaning he is your sustainer in every season that you find yourself in. There is one who sustains you through it all, and his name is Jesus. He says, I am the light of the world. And he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I am the door and the only way to salvation and everlasting life is through Jesus. He is the gateway into salvation. He says, I am the good shepherd. He is committed to consistently caring for us and passionately pursuing us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> He's a sort of shepherd that will leave the 99 to go chase after the one. Is anyone thankful for that? Yeah. That's the sort of shepherd he is. That's our God. He's committed to caring and passionately pursuing you. And on the days when you don't want to pursue him, guess what? He still pursues you. Praise God for that. <laughs> he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Death is not the end. It is not the final word. There is life through Jesus. Heaven is real. The resurrection happened. And that same resurrection power lives in you and me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. There is no other truth outside of Jesus. He is the truth. He is the life. And he says, I am the true vine. And if you stay close to Jesus, you will bear much fruit. But apart from him, you can do nothing. He is the one true vine. This is who your God is. Every day, Jesus remains on the throne. All those things are still true every day. In every season of life, that is still the truth. This is who your God is. And Paul believed every word. And it changed his life. You can read it. You can see it in his writings. He believed that Jesus was everything he claimed to be. And so no matter what his circumstances were, his mind was free. I know that there's testimonies here this morning of how God has done immeasurably more in and through your life. I know that if I stopped and asked you would share your story of how God came through in ways that you couldn't have even imagined. But I won't stop and we won't share because it's really hot and sweaty. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Paul writes to, to him, now to, oh, now to him he was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Jesus is able to exceed every expectation that you have. And so it's time to raise your expectation. 
It's amazing what God's done in your life. It's amazing when you look back and you see God came through then, that's incredible. But that is a stepping stone into the next new thing that God wants to do in and through you. Don't settle with where you are because there's so much more of God to experience and enjoy. He is able to exceed your wildest imagination. And so I want to encourage you this morning to raise your expectation. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within you. When you accepted Jesus into your life, you chose to partner with him and his power. You let go of your own ability to make it on your own and you decided that actually he is worth pursuing wholeheartedly and you gave your life over to the one who holds resurrection power in his very being. But so often we don't live according to that power at work within us, but rather we strive to make it through on our own. I think that's fair. Sometimes we strive to do things on our own. But the power that is in us is resurrection power. And it's there so we don't have to try and make it on our own. But rather we can rely wholeheartedly on the one who came to set us free. Going back to the gardening story. um, When God spoke to me about our minds and the garden. um, He reminded me of this verse. It's in 2 Timothy. And it says that the spirit that the Lord gave us is not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And when you accepted Jesus into your life, and when you said yes to the Holy Spirit, you said yes to power, love, and a sound mind. And his power is at work within you. You've just got to let go of trying to fix yourself. And allow Jesus to come and do what he does best. Leads people into fullness of life. Um, One of the greatest revelations I've had of Jesus was, um, it was probably a few years ago now. And it's a constant, I have to constantly remind myself that this is what Jesus is like. Um, But for me, I realize that Jesus doesn't point the finger or tell us how to get ourselves free. He's not on the sidelines shouting, if you just go that way or that way, then you'll be free. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus comes alongside us. He meets us where we are. He comes and finds us where we are. And he takes us by the hand and he leads us into a better way. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't try to Um, let you figure it out yourself. He doesn't ask you to fix your mind. He doesn't ask you to get yourself free. He doesn't say any of that. He says, let me in. I want to come meet you where you are. I want to lead you. I want to teach you about things from where you are. And he gently leads you into life evermore. That is what Jesus does. And that's what he's doing today. And today he wants to come into your mind and he wants to um, allow you to dream again those big things of God. He wants to come and invade that space. That's what he wants you to do. And when you allow him to do that, you'll find that in your life, though things might not always go the way you intended them to go, that you live in a state of freedom because in your mind, you're free. 
So now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. Today, God wants to deal with those limitations and he wants you to walk in freedom. He don't want you to settle with where you are when there is so much more to experience. And so how do we respond? (laughs) Well, I think it starts by inviting the Holy Spirit into our heart and mind. I think it starts by acknowledging that we can't do anything on our own. We don't rely on our own power, but we rely on Jesus. And I think it's time to raise our expectation and to dream again that just maybe God might want to do something remarkable in and through your life. Why don't we pray together? Yeah, Father, your word says that we have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is a fruitful place. It's a pure place. It's a place without distractions or invasions. It's a mind that lives in peace and a mind that has fullness. And Lord, because you have declared that over us, no matter what we feel, or even, Father, even what we've experienced, we choose to believe your word. Your word is truth, Lord, and it is life to us. So, Father, in our minds right now, we invite you to come. Your word says that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, there are things that have been stealing your plan and your purpose from us, things that have invaded the garden of our minds, that have encroached upon the original plan, And right now we ask you, Jesus, to come and to clear everything that needs to be cleared, that our minds may be put into a place of blessing and fruitfulness for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Just as we're rounding off our thoughts today, I would encourage you to think of your mind, forgive the analogy, but it's the best one I can come up with, as a womb. And... Just as a woman has a healthy cycle um, and has a healthy body which produces a healthy womb, so when conception is desired or wanted, there is the right environment, the right place, the right conditions for that life to begin, so must our minds be healthy. They must be healthy and ready to receive the seed of life that the Father wants to plant in us. A number of years ago, Jane and I, when we first got married, were so desperate to have children. Um, I, I really wanted to have uh, the opportunity to be a father. And uh, month after month and year after year, we were finding ourselves in a, in a place of disappointment regarding that possibility. And of course, eventually, you get the better of yourself and you put pride to one side and you go and you get some medical advice. And we were told that it would almost be impossible for us to be able to have a little baby at all and of course we were devastated by that news 
And at the time, I remember thinking, what else can we do? We can't do anything more than we're doing. Um, but, you know, God began to speak to me that the problem wasn't our bodies, it was our mind. You see, somehow we'd partnered with a lie that said that what the medical people said about us was more true than what God had promised us. And so we began filling our mind with scriptures, meditating on the word of God, conditioning the womb of our understanding to receive the blessing from God. And I want to tell you that that was a very difficult season for us as a couple because we happened to be in a church where people had babies like shelling peas every other day. There was another baby and we were doing dedications and dedications and it was a consistent battle sometimes to believe God and be faithful to celebrate with people who were celebrating the life that God had given them as a gift. And I remember the day very, very vividly when we discovered that Jane was carrying Emily, our daughter. I, there couldn't have been a greater moment in the life of a man who'd walked with Jesus and, and believed that God would do what he promised he would do. But the problem wasn't our physicality. There were problems in that. The problem was our ability to conceive mentally. So we started imagining. I mean, Jane won't mind me telling you this, but she used to go, as part of her exercise to imagine, she would go to a shop called Mother Care in a lunchtime and she would buy clothes for a baby we were told we would never have. We spent hours looking at names, what we would call our baby should we be given the opportunity to call. We had many arguments over that, as you can imagine. Um, I like fancy names and Jane's like something a little bit more simple and, and uh, you know, a little bit less complicated. But, but we imagined ourselves pushing a pushchair. We imagined ourselves being parents and we were up at the Cadbury Hall at the time. Do you remember the Cadbury Hall, those who've been here a long time? And um, a young lady came to me at the end of the evening service and she said, I don't know you very well, she said, and we hadn't told anybody in the church this was what was happening in our lives, but she said, God has just shown me a picture of you pushing a pram. You will be a father in a matter of a few months. And um, I know for those of you who've had children and found that easy and not, but for me, I just melted. You see, when my mind was ready, my life was ready. My mind needed to be prepared and conditioned to receive from God what God wanted to do in our lives. And uh, as you know, we have a 23-year-old bundle of joy who is just a, such a blessing to us, Emily. I remember when she was born, from the minute she was born, she filled every room with sunshine. She was such a joyous child to be around. She would dance at the back of the church while all the other kids were playing up. She was worshiping Jesus. I remember one time we were talking to her and she'd say, you know, Dad, does Jesus wear a cardigan? <laughs> now, if you lived in Glasgow, that's a legitimate question, I must be honest with you. I said, I don't know if he does. I don't know if she said, it's just if he's coming on the clouds. Do you remember that song, These Are The Days Of Elijah? She said, if he's coming on the clouds, won't it be a little bit cold for him? <laughs> it be a little bit cold up there, coming on the clouds, you know? And so many times over the years, I think how different our lives could have been if God hadn't conditioned the womb of our imagination to be prepared for the blessing and the desire and the dream that he had for our hearts. This morning, we've just heard Becca tell us something that's so important to us because many of us are disappointed that God is not blessing us and God so wants to bless us but maybe the womb of our imagination 
has been a little bit impacted by all kinds of things in life. Maybe we need God to help us take every thought captive, every vain imagination. And you know what these things do? They are tactics of the enemy to set you up, to set you up, to stop you from ever seeing the blessing of God. Do you want God to renew your mind? Would you love, would you love with all your heart to have a mind that is such a, a space and a place for God to pour out his blessing and fill it with all kinds of glorious thoughts because you know his thoughts are not your thoughts and his ways are not your ways and here's what we have to believe because it's the fruitfulness of his truth. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into our hearts and that could be an interchange with imagination what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know that you had to tell people about Jesus. But I did tell people about Jesus. And I remember without all the complications of trying to do that or learn how to do that, my prayer was simple. I would say, God, every week of my life, can I bring someone home? That was my words. Can I bring someone home to meet you, Jesus? As I've listened to Becca this morning twice, thank you. I'm so proud of her. I think she does an exceptional job. Don't you agree? As I listened to her today, I thought, what happened to that man that dreamt those dreams? What stole the appetite from me as an individual to see so many people come to faith? What encroached upon the simplicity of a heart that believed it was possible in every week of his life to see someone come to know Jesus Christ personally. I tell you what, life, life sometimes gets the better of us. But just like Paul, it doesn't matter what prison you find yourself in this morning. God is the God who liberates, the God who sets captives free, and the God who will fill your mind if you just worship. Why is worship so important? Worship is like conditioning the womb of your imagination to receive the seed that the Father desires to plant there. As you worship, you are conditioning your imagination to receive. I always think that of these things in a bit of a crass way, forgive me, but I'll share this with you. Don't stone me. But I actually think that worship in many ways is a reflection of intimacy between a man and a woman because this is the only place where God says he inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship, God impregnates us with hope. Amen? When we worship, he restores everything the locusts have eaten. Amen? When we worship, we are positioning our hearts to receive the future blessings that he has for us. Amen? Come on, you miserable beggars. Amen. Amen, amen and amen. amen. So it's so important that our minds are filled with the right things. So important that our focus is not on our problems, but on our promises and on the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. Because to him is all about that. To him who is able to do immeasurably off the scale what I could even begin to ask or imagine according to his power, which actually positionally is perfected 
but progressively is increasing according to his power that is at work within his church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. This power that we talk about has a forever and ever mandate. It's not just an instant fix to a, a, a very present problem. It's generational blessings that are passed on forever and ever. Amen and amen. And you owe it to those in your family line to flood your mind with the brilliance of Jesus. Just flood your mind with the brilliance of Jesus because in truth, if you can't see it, you can't be it. You need to see it. So why don't we stand as we finish our time together. There's no laying on of hands that can give you this, by the way, otherwise we'd have done that. But I want us to make a commitment to God today to be open to his suggestion to fill and to flood our minds with his brilliance. His thoughts are high above our thoughts. Why are they high above our thoughts? Because he knows everything about everything and he knows the end before the beginning. And his ways are not our ways. Some things will never come to pass if we're just trying to do this in our own strength. We need God to open up his original design. Because underneath the brambles and the branches and those things that have encroached, God had a plan for your life. And that plan was to prosper and to bless you, to give you a hope and to fill your future with great things. Is there anybody a little bit open to that? I know it's hot and your body's melting, but hey, you could be in hell. It's going to be an awful lot hotter there. It's going to be an awful lot hotter there. So put your hands in the air like you really do care. Just put your hands on up like you really do care. Lord, we don't do this. We don't do this because we're trying to be fancy or clever. Our hands in the air speak of a child who needs a father to lift them above the circumstances or the visible, tangible reality of their life and place us on your shoulders as fathers carry children on their shoulders. We are being elevated, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, to the posture of being seated with Christ in heavenly places. And our viewpoint of everything is completely different than when we're dealing with our circumstances. So raise us up, God, not just theologically, but spiritually, so we can see what we need to see. Can anyone say amen to that? Amen. And Father God, we lift our hands too because we're saying we surrender. Not only do we need you as a father, but we surrender, God. We need you. We don't have a plan B. You're it for us. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. No one else can do or love us the way you love us, Lord. And God, we have nowhere to go. The Apostle Peter said these words, Where will I go? Only you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. When we read it this week, I pray, God, it will penetrate every part of who we are, flood our minds with the possibilities of God, correct our internal realities to such a point that we start to embrace the greatness, the vastness, and the majesty of the God who has called us. And Father, I pray that dreams and visions would flow in this room. Lord, when we're sleeping tonight, please God, we can sleep with the heat, but when we're sleeping tonight, God, fill our minds with dreams from heaven, Lord. Flood our souls with your light, Father, and free us from mediocrity and small-mindedness. I stand opposed to small-mindedness. I don't care how terrible our lives may have been. Trust me, I know a little bit about that. The plans he has for us, 
the promises He's made to us are far greater than anything I feel or anything I've experienced. And I will not let another man or a woman dictate what my life will be. I will not let a circumstance rob me of the victory that is mine in Jesus Christ. I will not allow the demonic forces of darkness to steal any more from me because I am free to worship and to love and to adore Him no matter what imposed prison anyone may seek to place around my life who the sun sets free will be liberated and joyous and gloriously free. And Father, we pray the prayer that Jacob prayed over his son Joseph. He says, Joseph, you're a fruitful vine. I pray that for these people, God. They would be a fruitful vine, a vine planted by a stream of life. Release your spirit's power, God. Let the river of God begin to flow in and through us, Lord. A tree planted by a stream of life whose branches reached out over the walls. You know, there are people who want to hold you in. There are things that are trying to restrict or retard your fruitfulness. But listen to that scripture. Anyone planted by a stream of life, the Holy Spirit, there are no boundaries or parameters that the world can place upon you because the excessive nature of the abundance of God will cause you to reach out past those boundaries, maybe self-imposed or otherwise imposed, and God will make your life so heavy with His fruit and His blessing. Can we get an amen, amen. to that? Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And my prayer for you is this, that goodness and mercy will hunt you down this week. You will find yourself outrun and rugby tackled by goodness and mercy. I pray it will steal your feet from under you as you realize how great and how majestic and powerful and glorious is the God that you worship and adore. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us, be glory in the church, that's you, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for embracing the heat to be with us. Thank you for watching with us online. May the Lord bless you as you step into the rest of your day. Thank you.